Hold on to your hats, the countdown to the biggest wellness event of the year is on. Join us on August 15 and 16 in Melbourne for not one, but two days of Powerhouse Wellness, featuring 11 of Australia's most inspiring, entertaining, educating, fermentating speakers. Damo, what is fermentating? MP, I'll tell you at the summit. Your favourite wellness couch speakers are joined by special guest Nat Kringudis on all things hormones and female health. Join the Up For A Chat girls, the wellness guys, the natural nutritionist Steph Lowe, Kale Brock, Quirky Cookings, Joe Witt, Marcus Pierce, and the rest of your favourite wellness couch podcasters. Regular and VIP tickets are still available, but hurry before this summit is sold out. For tickets, go to www.thewellnesssummit.com. The Wellness Summit is proudly brought to you by Well & You. Be someone that makes you happy. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food reel with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. Hi team and welcome to episode 32 of The Real Food Reel. Today on the show, we have the next instalment of The Real Food Athlete for you, introducing you to David Prasida from the Gold Coast, Australia. David is a level one triathlon coach and long course triathlete whose next Ironman is Bustleton 2016. David has been a client of mine throughout 2015 and we've overhauled his day-to-day nutrition and turned him into a fat burning machine. I'm excited to have David on the show today and share his story with you. Hi David and welcome to The Real. Hi Steph, thanks very much. Really excited. I'd love to dive straight in with you sharing with us your story and and certainly the background with your you know your time in the sport and take us through to where you are now. Sure. Yeah. No worries. Um, I've been involved in triathlons for about twelve years now. I guess um, last few years as a coach as well, which has been a lot of fun with um, with a squad on the Gold Coast team, T Rex Triathlon. Um, but my, my background kind of is, is quite a bit different to what you hear on most podcasts where people come from a, a sporting um, schooling background and so forth. I was probably the opposite end of the spectrum. I was, I was the kid that was always picked last in most of the sporting teams. I, actually, I, um, I remember in primary school I had to do a lap of the over and I think it almost killed me. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, don't have that big sporting background. But, um, yeah, I had suffered quite a bit from, from asthma as a child, um, quite a few days off school being sick. You know, if someone was sick, I was the one to catch it as a kid. So so it's been quite a change in, in coming to triathlons. But um, I think the catalyst actually uh, in thinking about it was I, I did a Bachelor of uh, Computer Engineering at uni and that sort of uh, uh, career leads you to you have to do certifications and study quite a bit. I wasn't particularly active, but I, I clearly still remember the first time, that the first step that led me on the journey, and that was in 2003. I was studying for an exam and just had the realisation of how unhealthy and unfit I had become. You know, I was quite sedentary. Um, so I, uh, I changed my study method to break up study as, as well because it was a bit boring. After an hour, I went and got a treadmill, and after an hour, I'd spend 15 minutes on a treadmill just running. And I went from there 
um, from the treadmill to running outside and just basically instantly fell in love with it. I, I remember doing my first 5K and just being absolutely hooked. I couldn't get enough. So I, um, yeah, that was in 2003 and I, I signed up straight away for uh, the Gold Coast Half Marathon, um, a local event, and uh, started running every day. And I ran into my cousin not long, long after and he was big in triathlons and he basically said, mate, don't run every day, you'll end up injured, so get a bike, do some swimming. Um, I did that and got into sprints and, and again, immediately hooked with triathlon, just loved it. And uh, I, uh, that, that year, actually, I watched the first Hawaii Ironman on TV. I still remember it clearly in my head and thinking, um, I actually had two uh, very different thoughts. The first thought was, how can you possibly do something like that and make it alive? And the second was that I actually had to do it, absolutely had to do it. So I started kind of training for uh, for long course. I was still doing sprints initially, but kind of started doing more half marathons, started training, progressing to half half uh, Ironmans and, and uh, full marathons. Um, but I was doing it all pretty much by myself until about, um, it would have been about 2008, I guess, I, I found a coach, Rod Sodaro, who was a wealth of knowledge and, and um, really helped me with training. I just had no clue what I was doing back then. And he really helped me out, and I really became um, quite hungry for information. I'd get my hands on as many books as I could read and articles and, you know, listen to podcasts and all that sort of stuff and uh, and really started devouring as much knowledge as I could on, on training and, and nutrition as well, obviously. But back then, I guess I was more of a traditional carbohydrate-based athlete, Um but I have to say in those years, I was pretty lucky. I certainly saw a lot of people around me suffer, but I, I didn't suffer from um, stomach upsets or cramps or issues like that. But I, I had a pretty – I still, as an adult, had a pretty fragile immune system. Yeah. Uh, and I remember my wife actually saying it wasn't – I think it was after my first Ironman saying, you know, something along the lines of you might be fit, but, but are you really healthy? And it, that really – made me think I mean I, I guess she was looking in the pantry and seeing gels and bars and, <laughs> and uh, Gatorade and coke and all that sort of stuff and um it made me think and reassess really what I was putting into my body apart from just the training sessions I think we focus a lot on just the training sessions and not the rest of that pie chart you know and um uh so I, I um did a few things I, I another turning point actually um, after that was was going to the the GP. I thought of one of the things I want to do is you know do some blood blood work. Um, so I found a GP on the Gold Coast who, luckily enough, was also an endurance athlete, and um, we did the full spectrum of blood work. and And he had a different perspective on, I think, what normally a GP probably would have looked at those results and said, you know, everything's fine. You're within normal range. Go about your business. Um, but he kind of looked and, and knew for an endurance athlete things weren't quite right. So, um, you know, looking at magnesium levels, vitamin B levels, things like that, we, we adjusted, and that, that was probably one of the main things that helped it start to improve my immune system because um, it was pretty bad. I mean, I, one of my Ironmans in 2013 at Cairns, and this is a, a fairly common pattern for me, is I'd go through base training and be great, and then four weeks prior to my immune system would just start, you know, you'd see cracks around the edges. And then before cans, I 
the week leading up to Cairns, I think I lost three kilos. I was so ill. I went and saw the doctor and he, he put me on these tablets, said don't eat for 24 hours, <laughs> all that sort of stuff you don't want to hear before before a race you've been preparing for for months. I went ahead and did it anyway, which probably wasn't a good idea, but um, certainly the immune system was a major limiter for me um, back then. And I also, one of the other things actually that made me also reassess nutrition was I went to a um, a training a training clinic with Dave Scott last year, and he talked quite a bit about carbohydrate and the effects on the body and the um, ghrelin and leptin hormones and how they affect hunger. And it really struck a chord with me because I, again, probably like most people out there, or triathletes out there, I should say, always hungry, couldn't get enough food, always eating, um, and never seeing an end to that. So I, after that, I kind of started changing my diet. In, in small ways, definitely not enough now that I look back to it, but they were small changes. I, I, I dropped cereal and breads and I was less reliant on carbs. I was having, you know, eggs and avocado and things like that for breakfast. And that kind of went through till, I guess, January this year, January, February this year. And I thought, like I did back in 2008 when I knew I needed a coach, I knew I needed some guidance on this. I didn't want to guess and uh, and and spend months getting it wrong. So yeah. so. I, I wanted to um, get some guidance from someone that knew that, what they were doing. Uh, I came to you, obviously, at that point. That was about five months ago, and, and things have changed well, dramatically <laughs> since yeah. then. Um, yeah, I, I think when I came to see you, I didn't uh, – I didn't. I think one of the things I said was I'm not focusing on performance. I'm just focusing on health. I want to um, be in this sport for a long time, so I'm not worried about getting faster. I'm just an age grouper. I just, I just want to – be able to enjoy this sport and and be healthy and fit. Yeah, and that's one of the things I still remember to this day. I remember you saying that you wanted to extend your athletic longevity and I absolutely Mm. love that. I just thought, isn't it fantastic that athletes are really starting to think about what it means to be in the sport for, you know, 10 or 20 or even longer in terms of years and, and how that's going to happen and that nutrition is a really, really important part. Absolutely. And I think, I don't know if it's a generational thing or what it is, but there's, I find a lot saying to some of my athletes um, that I coach now, what's the rush? You know, they want to go out and they want to do um, all this, all these Ironmans and, you know, all these half Ironmans and long course events and cram it into the, into a short space. And it's, what's, what's the rush? I'd rather all these people be in the sport for a long time and being healthy and active rather than, um, you know, being in here for 12 months and then blowing up and burning out and doing things to their body that they shouldn't. So, um, Yeah, which that's is very a, common, unfortunately. It is. Mm. It is. It, it's scary, actually. It's, it's really scary. But yes. um, in, in terms of that, um, th- those some of those changes, I mean, I, like I said, I, I, I didn't really want to focus on performance. It was health. But I've got to say, I, I think I feel the fittest now than I've ever felt before. And that's it's a nice thing to say when you're 44. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I want to break down that as we continue to chat today. Um, sure. But I guess, you know, what it sounds like for you, David, is that you did have a few light bulb moments along the way and you got to the point where you realised that, that something needed to change. And I think what, you know, I wanted to clarify there as well is that you did reach out and get some personalised support. And I look at it as, as guidance. You know, I've just guided you along the way. But, you know, what I what we have experienced is that it's been a really great exponential journey. You know, we'll get to the, the great performance benefits that you've had along the way. But it's been pretty cool to watch you just get more and more 
fantastic results in the space of say you know February to to now in July. Yeah, it was. It, it what also surprised me, Steph, was for me, and I know it's all individual, and we talk about n equals one and how everyone's different. But and and it's, it might be the case with this, but for me, I didn't experience that four to six week um, fat adaptation period. I, I I kind of within a week, I, I my cravings for sugar stopped. My satiety was there. I was starting to feel good. I had a couple of intense training sessions, like high intensity interval sessions, where I felt a little bit flat. But um, but they were small changes that I had to make to sort that out with your guidance. And and I did really didn't have that that period of adaptation. So it did seem to happen quite smoothly. And I was surprised by that because I'd done because I come from that background. I'm a, I guess I'm a bit of a numbers guy. I I like to do baseline testing make a change, retest and see what's happened. Yeah. And, and I did that with um, down here on the Gold Coast, Jupiter Health do metabolic efficiency testing. So I did, just prior to us starting to work together, I did some metabolic efficiency testing and, man, was I a sugar burner, yeah. even at rest. <laughs> it <laughs> it rest, was little, absolutely, yeah. A little bit scary. Like an example actually was I'm training for the Peaks um, Peaks Challenge Rider on the Gold Coast, which is next month. It's like a twelve-hour ride through five of the biggest peaks on, or the uh, five of the biggest climbs on the Gold Coast. So I'm regularly doing six, seven, and eight-hour rides. And you know, six to, to twelve months ago, they would I would have been my requirement, and based on this metabolic efficiency report, would have been sixty to ninety grams of carbs. The last seven hour, an hour, that is. Yeah. The last seven-hour ride I did, I think I, I only needed 120 grams of carbs for seven hours. So it's it's been a massive change for me. Yeah, absolutely. It's been huge. And I think um, I was actually just looking back at the original food diary you gave me in Feb, and yeah. I think part of the reason why your transition was quite nice, for want of a better word, was that you had already started to make those key changes. Mm. For example, this food diary has – three meals, not six, like the yeah. traditional triathlon or sort of, you know, food pyramid myth that tells us to eat every two hours. And yeah. you'd already had, um, you know, you've been trying to reduce your gluten intake and you knew that yeah. you'd come from a high-carb diet but you were looking at making those changes. So yeah. I think that's an important point that, you know, this process is an evolution and a lot of people dive into it and, um unfortunately they 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 make it harder for themselves for the first sort of two or four weeks when you're i know n equals one but you're good you're a good anecdote that it can be quite smooth yeah yeah and and simple too it doesn't you don't need to over over complicate things i think um you know some people get a plan and and they'll look at numbers you know as, as triathletes we, we we do that a lot we do that too much actually we look at numbers and try and read information into the numbers um, and then get stressed when we're not within 0.1% of what the requirement is, you know. <laughs> um, and and I think we we just have to t- take a little step back from that. And when we're going through these adaptions phase, we've definitely got a plan to follow, but you, it won't happen overnight and you have to be prepared for, for that adaption to take a couple of weeks. But the benefit in the in the long run is is massive. Yeah, absolutely. And we spoke about that in depth in episode 30. So if you if 
our listeners haven't um, listened to that episode, I'll direct you back there as well because we do go through that metabolic grey zone in detail and, and what happens when you move from a sort of a food pyramid or perhaps traditional sports nutrition model into what we call LCHF or, or low-carb, high-fat. So mm. what I want to do with you, David, actually, is go through this original food diary, um, which was, you know, along the path for you so it already yep. made some changes but sure. then from there if we can break down um what what were the refinements that we made from here yeah so in feb for breakfast you were already having boiled eggs and you were making you know a smoothie with um what looks like the clean protein powder and you had coconut milk and kale and avocado yeah um which i which i really really liked from day one um, from there, though, you went into lunches and you were eating quite a lot of sushi hand rolls yeah. or, um, you know, perhaps when you, were, when you were out and about, you were making those quick and easy carbohydrate choices. But at that time, you'd been starting to experiment with some recipes from our ebook, Free From Gluten. So there were the sort of roast veggie salads starting to come in there. Yes. And yep. then dinner, you were more traditional in your options that you were having with the family. So it was more the spaghetti and, and rice dishes, although there were some that were steak and veggie. So that's what yep. you were doing um, back in Feb, which yep. is pretty good, don't get me wrong. Um, but take us through what your day looks like now and, and in, in that what the major changes you felt you made were. Yeah, definitely, and I have to come clean when you when you say I don't I don't snack. I I did used to. I, I've been doing sprint training this year, so it's a little bit different from Ironman. But I certainly was one of the guys that would be eating six day six times a day yeah. when I was doing the Ironman training. But but as you know, I, I kind of flipped to Ironmans one year and maybe sprints another year or something like that. Um, so so I have been in that situation before. But but the changes that I've made really um as sticking to those um three meals a day but the the content is just real food that's the foundation for everything now and, it, and it, it's um and that's what everything's based on so instead of those convenience foods and grabbing what i what i could grab with the time i had um i make sure i'm prepared now so you know i'm still having you know like as an option for for breakfast eggs and avocado and spinach and bacon and stuff like that or I quite often have the coconut chia pudding, mm. um, but and then having uh, a decent lunch, and sometimes that might be a smoothie or an omelette or leftovers with some avo and salad and things like that to get that good fat content in there. Um, and then dinner again is is pretty pretty simple. I just I I haven't had pasta or rice. Um, I can't say not at all because there was a week I was in Japan where I could not avoid rice. <laughs> I want to talk about that week in a minute too. Okay. So. <laughs> I'll, I'll do that yet then. But so no, but most of the time now it's uh, kind of, you know, protein, you know, like a steak or chicken or something like that, um, salmon, um, some vegetables and salad. Beautiful. And how's the hunger? I, I, I'm not I, – I can go hours without eating now. Um, you know, between breakfast and lunch it's no issue that, that – you know, I'd go and do, like I said before, those six to seven-hour rides. Mm. I come back from those. Sometimes I have done them fasted with no breakfast prior to. I've also done them having, you know, like the coconut chia pudding, which is my common breakfast beforehand. But um, but I've done those rides and come back and, and you know, I, I could go and have a shower and get changed and put the bike away and, 
clean up a little bit and then realise that it's probably time I should have something to eat. So it's I'm not being I'm not you know jumping through the um, through to the uh, kitchen and tearing the fridge apart trying to get food. <laughs> yeah, well, you and I spoke about this yesterday. How you're doing seven hours, which is a you know it's a solid mid midweek ride, and yeah. um, there's no more falling off the bike or you know annihilating the kitchen. So it's a really really great to see how how you respond to big sessions like that. Yeah, so my satiety is great. I mean, I, I used to crave chocolate and all that sort of stuff at night time. I'd, I'd eat dinner with with the family and then by 9 o'clock I'd be looking for more food again. I, that doesn't happen anymore, you know. Mm. The, the satiety is there. I, I just don't have the the need to continually pound food down. Yeah. So I want to go back to that week in Japan actually, David, because <laughs> what I love about the way you've um, taken this journey is is that it's been quite gradual but also very balanced um, so we've yeah. been working together for a couple of months and you had the trip to Japan and I remember the conversation that we had where there was a little bit of fear around what to eat and how to avoid the carbs and what would happen and whether that would be disastrous for your metabolic efficiency or whether that would derail your fat adaptation. And, um, you know, we put together some strategies as to how you were going to approach eating on your holiday but can you yeah. tell us, you know, what you did and, and really what what the minimal effect was? Sure. Yeah, the balance. It's funny you mentioned that word balance because that's something that I always talk about to, to athletes I coach. It's it's really important to be balanced and um, and I think you have to be emotionally balanced about it as well and mm. be realistic about things, whether it's how much training you can fit in a week or what's going to happen to your nutrition when you're away. So I, I was a little bit concerned because we I think we were – it was April, wasn't it? So it would have been about two months into the process, maybe even less, maybe six weeks into the process. Um, and I was a bit fearful of going over to uh, on this holiday and then and then undoing all the week's work before. But um, I tried to make, I tried, tried is the operative word, tried <laughs> to make the best choices I could. I didn't really have a lot of opportunity. There were times when I when I was eating carbs, uh, more carbs than I I should have been eating. I was conscious of it, but I tried to be balanced in that um, I knew I would be able to recover when I got back. And, you know, you're on a family holiday, so there's um, it's, it's okay to make some changes, but not to the detriment of the entire holiday, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> so I certainly, when I was over there, tried to make as many good choices and options as I could, but, but it was not ideal. It was far from ideal. And I, I basically just dropped, dropped the stress um, from from that period and, and didn't let it bother me. So that the day that I got back here, um, I basically jumped straight back into the into the program and and it, you know there wasn't it wasn't too much of a uh, a drama. There wasn't a massive mm. effect from that week that I think anyway. From no, from I barely. Just, I think we barely noticed it. You know, like you just slided straight back into the guidelines and um, your your performance benefits and certainly how you felt day-to-day just continued nicely exponentially. Yeah, that's right. What, what I will say is I noticed the difference in how I felt when I was over there. That, that's one thing yeah. that surprised me. As soon as I didn't have the option and there were places when I don't speak Japanese, I, there was literally restaurants my wife and I were going to and ordering blind off the menu because we, <laughs> we couldn't speak. Um, 
the, the language and we were just ordering things, trying to get an understanding of what was on there. But um, so, yeah, but I, but I really noticed a difference in how I felt when I was having more carbohydrates. Again, the sluggishness would return, the lack of steady energy, you know. I used to get those 2 p.m. dips in the afternoon um, that I thought was just me but is, is obviously more common than that. Um, so I got those sort of things started occurring again until I got back, and that was just even more motivation to get back and get real food back into me and uh, start looking after my nutrition again. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some important points there. I think firstly to clarify is that you had done that initial sort of six weeks. So you had gone through that um, adaptation phase where, you know, what can happen if you've done it properly Um is that you open up this nice window of flexibility. So it means that, you know, you can eat some rice while you're away and, you, you know, the, the effects in terms of metabolically are, are negligible. I mean, yes, you feel different because, of course, the carbohydrate train that you get back on makes you feel more hungry and then, you know, obviously changes the, the cravings and all the food choices that you make from there. Yeah. But in terms of the physiological changes it just allows you that flexibility and then certainly you know you come back and within a few days it's it's like it never happened so to speak mm. and that's definitely what i expect uh, experienced and experienced that from a performance um, perspective as well yeah very cool so i want to talk about your fueling a little bit more because i know you've got the the peaks challenge coming up pretty soon mm. um and we've worked out some numbers from your retest of your metabolic efficiency with Jupiter Health. Yes. And so what we've learned from that um, as a summary is that you're, you know, at your your sort of goal heart rate for that event, we're getting, you know, an extra 30, uh, sorry, an extra 300 calories from your, from your fat adaption. So per hour, yes. we're getting a really, really nice drip feed of, of fat that we've, created from the change in your metabolism yeah so what that means is you're not having to try and eat those extra 300 calories per hour um and therefore we've, we've got a really you know quite a, a low um carbohydrate gram per hour calorie requirement for you yeah um but yeah dive in a bit more there for us and we've obviously discussed how that's been working for you in training um yeah. But any thoughts on race day and logistics and how that will really change your experience as well? Yeah, I I um I try and do you know the common sense approach, which is try try, try it in training. Don't just leave it to race day. So I've tried a number of different um, specific fueling uh, recipes, I guess, for through training and found what's worked with me. And and they're all homemade and actually they're they're on your website, Steph. So but. Uh, but um, all you know, all my energy bars and gels, in inverted commas, now are, are all hot, homemade and natural. So I, I've been practicing using those. Um, in terms of uh, the food I actually have on the on the bike now, I normally do specifically for the strategy that I've um, for this race. The first um, hour and a half or so will be fasted, um, and I've done that in training again. And then every hour I have. Um, uh, uh, all natural energy bar that I make at home, and uh, there's a, a green veggie slice that I have. So I have one of those each per hour, um, and that's enough to get me through well up to an eight hour ride so far. Yeah. Uh, 
in terms of calories, that's all I need. So, you know, 300 calories an hour, we were saying that we get now from, from fat, that's massive over 12 hours. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're burning 800, you're, yeah. getting, you're getting 300 from fat. Yeah, I mean, you, you obviously you don't need to bridge the gap entirely at all. Um, and so just a, a nice amount of carbohydrates to help you with the climbing, of course, that, that little bit of higher intensity. And um, obviously you've got some performance goals there as well. So we've put that plan together quite strategically. Um, but yeah. certainly you won't be having a buffet on the bike and nor will you be needing to stop at every um, aid station and, and load up on the, the on-course nutrition. No, I've looked. There's, I think there's five aid stations. I think there's seven or eight stops. There's, there's um, a few. There's a few, yeah, food stops that you can take their nutrition on board. And I, luckily, I'll be able to ride through most of those if mm. my body allows me anyway. <laughs> but yeah. from a nutrition and hunger perspective, I'm sure I want to get off the saddle. I'll be sick of it by 12 hours. But um, from a nutrition perspective, I won't need to stop. I'm pretty self-sufficient. I'll be able to carry, um, you know, at least six, seven hours of nutrition because it's so much reduced now with me. And then I can change over it quickly at one of the stops. Yeah, and that's a really important point. And it's a conversation I have with all my Ironman athletes as well. It's obviously a an eight hour day or it's a seventeen hour day for some people. And, you know, when you're trying to do the old school sixty to ninety grams an hour, not only are your guts just not going to be able to handle that as the day progresses, but where do you put it all? It becomes a logistical mm-hmm. nightmare. It is. And it's yeah. just an unnecessary stress. Definitely. Yeah, we we don't need any more stress. We've got enough as it is. <laughs> Eleven hours on the bike sounds sounds stressful to me, so I'll leave that one with you. <laughs> yeah, I'll be glad when it's done. It's like I said, I want to go up to the top of the highest mountain on the Gold Coast and throw my road bike off it. <laughs> great. Awesome achievement! I'm excited to to follow you on the day. Um, but yeah, I mean, your fuel, fueling sounds great. I do like the combination of the of the sweet and the savoury, which I think is really important for a, a day that long. Um, yes. We know that we can get that flavour fatigue and just relying on, even if it is freedom fuel, is is not sensible because by the end of or halfway through the day, you're looking for something completely different and that's where athletes can get undone if they haven't got other options and they then get stuck with on-course stuff, which isn't yeah. the end of the world in one day, but I mean, it's really nice to have your own plan and to be able to have gluten-free and refined sugar-free and for it to be that smooth sailing. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and it's like I said, you try it all out in in, um, in training. That's all the kind of a real food approach to, it, to, to the riding. In terms of running, I've tested some of the gels like the Freedom Fuel, the homemade gel for the half marathon. I didn't end up needing it. But, um, again, I, it's it's been a really easy um, change for me, you know, dropping gels and moving to to um, to the homemade versions of, has been. I mean, they taste great and they're pretty simple to put together as well, and they work. So uh, it's all common sense, really. Yeah, tell us about your half marathon as well. That was a really another great performance benefit that you've had this year. Yeah, well, one of the one of the things you know, you hear a lot of stuff around around the traps, and and I like I said earlier, I came to you for health, not for performance perspectives and certainly I could see the benefits in reducing your reliance on carbohydrates on the long course um, uh, events which is where my focus has been but I was also kind of interested to what would happen at, at the top end and and again it's all been positive I've done I've done a in the last five months a 5k run PB I um I 
did a couple of qualification races and managed to get on the Aussie team to get to the Chicago Triathlon Sprint World Championships. I think I ended up second on the ladder. You did, um, yes. Wise. So that, was, that mm. was great. So they're short events. These are less than an hour. And then the half marathon, because I've been training for this Peaks event, I've really been doing since early April just riding, basically. Um, but I decided to do the half marathon. I don't know, a rush of blood to the head. Someone else was doing it, so I needed to do it as well. You know how it goes. <laughs> but I, um, I signed up to do the half marathon. I only really had three weeks uh, of, of runs that I could squeeze in. I, not ideal as a coach. I would never tell my athletes to do it, but, uh, you know. Um, so, but I, I managed to fit in, I think, three long runs and three tempo runs and a couple of park runs, and, and I went and uh, I did an hour 28 on the run which for me was was massive it was a massive pb and it was 10 minutes quicker than i than i'd got previously on on my best time on the gold coast half marathon course so um even some of the higher end stuff there's definitely been no um no drop in performance it, yeah. i've only seen increases through long course and short course um, events so far yeah such awesome results i think another anecdote that it, you can be certainly flexible for both long and slow <clears throat> part of me and certainly that the top end stuff as you say so the the recovery is what you've I think really accelerated in though you know removing the refined sugars and removing the inflammatory foods means you can do that little bit of extra training which obviously helps translate into results as well that's yeah I, I, I hadn't mentioned that but you say recovery I mean after a seven or eight hour ride um there was quite a few sessions that was uh, during the week where the next day I would get up and back up for another two to four hour ride, not on the hills because I was getting completely sick of them, but I'd go and do time trial efforts. And I remember one, I had a few um, oh my God moments <laughs> during the last few months. And one of them, I mean, some of them were due to the times that I was getting in the PBs, um, which I was just continually amazed by. But but I remember being able to do those seven and eight hour rides. I'd back up and do the next ride the next day. And then then the day after that, I remember walking around, I felt like I had springs in my legs. I wanted to go and do uh, and you know, like interval sessions and things that I just had so much energy. So much energy. It was amazing. Yeah, really cool. And I think that comes down to obviously being able to recover. You can't, you know, if 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 you're struggling to recover then and you do a big session, then you know, the next day you're normally flat for, for two or three days um, and it just wasn't the case anymore. Yeah, that's one of the biggest benefits and I think that comes back to what we say with it being a, you know, uh, anti-inflammatory approach but then it comes back to your original goal of extending that, that longevity, extending your career as a triathlete. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. So I know you're a coach and you've obviously got some athletes that um, – have been following your journey over the last couple of years and certainly yep. this year since you've been working with us at The Natural Nutritionist. But what would you say would be your number one piece of advice, like nutritionally, to yep. athletes starting out? I, I think just have a real food focus. That's probably the, the simplest way to start it, mm. is move away from processed food, um, make sure you know what's in everything you eat and where everything comes from um, and and take that real food approach but apart from that I'd say don't do it alone you know like you need guidance you need guidance in in training you need guidance in nutrition everyone's different and 
you know, I mean, if you need to go and fix your car, you go and find a mechanic. You don't play around with things until you get it right. So don't do that to your body. Go and find someone that knows what they're doing and help you through the journey because everyone is different and it's amazing how different people can be from one athlete to the next. And a lot of athletes, I think, too, we've got so much information around us now. I mean, from a from a training perspective, as an analogy, you look at how much information we've got. We've got, you know, power on the bike. We've got heart rates. We've got FTP, VO2 max heart rates. And all this information is there, but not a lot of people know what to do with those numbers. Yeah. And I think it's the same with nutrition, you know. You can you can read what you want on the internet, um, but if you try and blindly apply numbers to yourself, it's going to be a long and it could be a painful journey. So no one's got time for that. Just just get some guidance. Focus on real food and get someone to help you on the journey. Yeah, very nice. So it's been awesome working with you and um, and I will continue with your goals in the lead up to Bustleton 2016. Yeah. Share with us what you've got coming up. So next is Peaks. I've got the Peaks Challenge uh, next month. Um, So race-wise I've got that. I've got Chicago in September and then November is normally a fairly busy month. So I do the Noosa Triathlon in November um, with the the, the Team T-Rex squad. We get involved in um, an Endeavour Foundation um, charity race or a 500k relay run race with a team of about 15 to 18 of us. Um, that's three days of running, so that's that's good fun. So I'm really keen to to uh, it'll be the first year I do it with this new nutrition plan and strategy. Yeah. Okay. So that'll be really cool. Um, then I've got a half Ironman at the end of uh, November, and that'll see me out for this year race wise. I've also got yeah plenty of other things on my plate. I've got I'm part of um, Chris McCormack's training group, the Macca uh, X training group. So um, we're running a camp next month in August. Um, so I'm doing the final preparations for that. Um, coaching, a couple of young kids, studying. <laughs> <laughs> you are so busy. It, it's a, it's a, it's been a pretty busy year, but it's been very rewarding. Yeah. You race more than most people I know. <laughs> I never used to, but I just love it now. Yeah. And I think when you you know, the one thing about this change is it's kind of reinvigorated me. Mm. I think I was plateaued and and there wasn't a lot of improvement for the last uh, couple of years. And I think when you make a change and you see the direct benefits and you feel them on race day and even just not in races but when you're walking around, it really reinvigorates you. You think, well, okay, what, what else can I do? What else can we try? What other Next. challenges yeah. are out there? Yeah, very cool. And also you're doing a nice mix of lots of short stuff like your 5Ks and some sprints. It's not like you're doing lots of um, lots of Ironmans or anything. <laughs> no, that's right. No, I try and keep the variety up. Maybe I get bored a little bit easy, but I tend to do Ironmans long course one year and then flip around and do sprints the next year and it, it kind of keeps, you know, everything ticking over and keeps the interest up there. Yeah. Yeah, very good. All right. Well, I hope that our listeners have learnt a lot from your journey. And you know, to clarify again, n equals one. But I hope you've got some some great little tips and anecdotes from David today. Have you got um, a blog, or can we find you on online or social media, David? Not really. I'm just a I'm just an age grouper. But <laughs> um, um, but I the coaching I do I um, do through my squad Team T Rex Triathlon. So I can be found on uh, the Team T Rex Triathlon Facebook page. 
Um, and then I, I get involved with the Chris McCormack's Macca X group as well. So, um, so uh, that's about it, really. I don't have my own web page, or, or I do have a Twitter account that is completely underutilized and cobwebs <laughs> at the moment. So <laughs> that's about it. No, it's cool. Mainly if someone wants coaching services that'll find more out about you, I'll put some links to those sites in the show notes. Definitely, yeah. Go through Team T Rex Triathlon Coaching on the Gold Coast. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time today, David, and I'm sure you and I will chat again soon. But, uh, yeah, again, um, it's been awesome working with you and I can't wait for even more uh, improvements. Thanks, Steph. I really look forward to keeping uh, working with you and, and, yeah, same here. Talk soon. Thanks. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.